Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Kroger, everyone wins when it comes to saving big. Because when you order online through the Kroger app, you get the same great prices, deals, and rewards on pickup or delivery that you do in-store with no hidden fees or markups. Best of all, you'll know when items in your cart have a coupon, so you never miss a deal. So whether you're a delivery lover, picker-upper, or you shop in-store, no matter how you shop, you'll always save big at Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I want winners. I want people that want to win. Welcome back to We Want Winners. Roderick Adams here alongside me, Double G. Our We're still in our every two weeks mode with this podcast, with this video show. But soon enough, and I'm going to give you some dates here as far as key schedule dates. Soon enough, we're going to be back a little bit more frequently than we are. So the offseason is almost behind us, which is kind of exciting to think about. It really is. The rookies report tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we're also going to talk about this new podcast uh, about play caller called Play Callers. And at least the first episode, because that's all I've heard, is about Kyle Shanahan and his coaching tree. And sadly, the sort of the, the beginning of the end and the end of Robert Griffin III's career. That was like a, the sad part of the podcast. But uh, Kyle Shanahan's all over this new podcast series. I think the, the fifth and final episode just came out, so I'm a little bit behind. We're going to talk about that podcast. We'll also talk about uh, possible uh, battles, positional battles for, uh, for training camp. But first, let's kick off the show talking about these key dates for what is upcoming in 49er football. So uh, I have it that the rookies report on the 18th, but you're saying they report on the 17th. No, no, you're right. I, okay. I'm I'm a day behind Tuesday. Not, um, yes. It's the 16th. It's not the 17th. Yeah, I'm- yeah. So on the 18th, the rookies report. And on the 26th, training camp officially begins. And that is the first of nine open practices that fans will be able to see and this is something that we've talked about with you that you're very interested in getting back have you successfully found a way found an in to some of these practices yet all nine tickets shout out robert <laughs> ramos <laughs> cooked me all the way up i am good and it, it turns out um is a good thing because they go on sale to the public um to, tomorrow i believe 
the seventeenth, yes. And there are already dates that are sold out. So oh my gosh. Yep. So shout out to Robert for getting me all squared away early. So yeah, I'll be there in full force. How hot does it get out there? It gets pretty hot. Oh <laughs> it man. It gets pretty thinking hot. Yeah. And then there's there's like it's 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 kind of a shit show. There's no beverage. They got water out there. Last year, they were telling you, like, the first practice, they were like, you know, no food, only water, and you could bring fruit in, like, a Ziploc bag. (laughs) But by the time, you know, all the rest of the days I went, I I took Subway every day, and nobody tripped. So it was... um, it was it, it it was a pretty interesting experience, and I'm really looking forward to it again. Um, they're really strict on the rules. If you guys, whatever their rules are, other than the food, obviously, you need to try to follow them. Um, you can't be uh, shooting video of Kyle's new play, man. Man, that's a that is a huge one. You can you can video the warm ups, and you can video the individual um, position practices. But once they go into install and team, if they see a camera, they will throw your ass out. And they are serious about it, too. I saw them, um, you know, roll several people about the club trying to sneak, <laughs> sneak, sneak film Kyle's um, plays. And sh- nah, don't. don't I, do I, I wonder how many of those are people who have like uh, sub stacks or like they have these like subscription based uh platforms where you kind of need content right like if you if you have a fan base of hardcore 49er fans who're trying to learn more and you know you try and sneak a video or something and, and you know what nobody finds it what's interesting is that would make sense for them maybe but you can definitely see um you know people like Lombardi and Mayoko mm-hmm. who you see them out there on the who have like really close access out there on the sideline you you could understand why they wouldn't want to do anything to screw up their access oh yeah oh yeah um because they're like you say their their um platform is much larger much than, st- than substack guys so if kyle found out that they were filming it'd be a huge it'd be a huge problem and they they probably get their access pulled which they obviously <laughs> to do their job they really can't afford to be barred from the facility <laughs> yeah they, i mean they would they would pr- they would also probably get you know, a couple of chances, whereas random fan who, right. you know, doesn't have any relationship with the team wouldn't. And I mean, I don't think there's nothing that says that. I mean, if you are savvy enough to know what's going on, I don't, I don't know that. Well, I guess other than ruining the relationship, there's nothing to keep you from describing what's happening. I don't know. Again, you know, Kyle's whole thing is he doesn't want, his shit out there in the street. He doesn't want people knowing what he's doing. And I think even that, if you were somebody like Lombardi or Beros, you wouldn't want to be the one that's like spilling what the hell is coming. Mayoko. um, Can you imagine Mayoko gets in trouble? (laughs) That would be crazy. (laughs) But yeah, it's, um, it, it watching those coaches for me, who's just kind of a football nerd. It's really, fascinating to watch those dudes work and to see how what we watch on Sundays, how it kind of matters. Cause that's really, this is the only time we get to see how that the preparation for what happens on Sundays, how it happens. We, you know, obviously we don't get any access 
fight game weeks or anything like that. But, um, you know, you get, we're getting to see in real time, them installing the offense and the defense and, um, kind of, you know, um, hints of what it's going to look like when the lights come on. So I think that's fascinating. Why? I wonder why the NFL allows for this stuff, because I don't think the NBA allows any open practices anymore. I like can't, that's a fully closed door policy there. Yeah. I, I can't think of, I can't remember the last time, you know, the only team that I have any kind of real knowledge about is the Warriors. And I can't remember the last time there was a w- open warrior practice. Like media day. I think you used to be able to do that, but then if they're once the practice actually starts, then they kind of shush you out. Like if you want to watch warmups or you want to watch some of the, the, the one-on-one stuff with the trainers, but then once Kerr's out there with the whistle, then it's like, all right, everyone's got to go. You know, you know, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I th- I've mentioned this before on different podcasts, but I had a chance to talk to Jim Barnett, the old Warriors uh, color announcer. Mm-hmm. And this is during time frame right before Kerr gets hired. So Mark Jackson is about to get fired. And Barnett is essentially telling us so without saying it. It was right around that time. And he said that Mark Jackson was so insecure about his job that he didn't even let Jerry West watch practice. And I'm assuming it's because he didn't want the feedback or he didn't want the gossip around how he was doing it with the, you know, with, with the, the management and, you know, so much so that, you know, Mark Jackson actually had one of his meetings bugged and a coach got fired because they were trying to record a conversation. And uh, so, yeah, there was like lots of craziness around there, but I mean, it makes sense. Like if you, uh, in NBA, like imagine, you know, to bring this up, well, w- I, Brian and I, I think are coming back this week with we, uh, with the death lineup, but imagine somebody being in the practice facility when Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole in the face. Yeah. Like that yeah. would have been even, even crazier than, than, than the moment was when, you know, it's still kind of nuts that. And that's why still, it's weird that that tape got out. Because... And that they never found out who did it, or maybe they did, and they just aren't saying it. Because how can I they can't? Not? I can't imagine that they don't know. Because I, I, I just think based on what we the the beginning of the conversation, I think that you there's probably a very very small list of people who who were even there. Yeah. Um. So by process of elimination, it had to be, you know, a, I can't imagine how many people it was, but I can't imagine it would be 25. I, I can't, I can't imagine that there are that many people who aren't, and, and I can't imagine there's anybody there that wouldn't be considered an insider. Yeah. And you know, so. you, TM, of course, TMZ is not going to give up who did it. And right. You know, the cell phone has tracking information, but you know, that, that, that there, I, I don't know how much you could actually get in, into that, but uh, okay. So the rest of these dates. So I said, July 26 training camp opens. And then the first preseason game, is less than a month away. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. In Las Vegas against the Raiders, August 13th. Uh, and then August 19th, the first of two home preseason games, first against Denver, and then the 25th is against San Diego. Now, the way that the new uh, bargaining agreement works between uh, the owners and the players is they added a 17th game, and one of the concessions was the player said, well, we don't want to play all of these preseason games, so now there's only uh, three of them. 
So, so that's good because the preseason sometimes can be long, but between the last preseason game and the first regular season game, it is like over two weeks. So that's going to be a long wait. We're going to be chomping at the bit to get 49er football opening up against Pittsburgh on the 10th. And then just, I just added this because uh, the home opener, the Niners usually play away early in the season because of the sun issues at Levi's their home opener. I believe this is a Thursday night game, which is great because night games at Levi's are amazing uh, against the New York giants. So those are our key dates. And it just, it just means that we are sooner than later going to be talking about real stuff, which uh, is exciting. And uh, Shelvin, he, he wants to go to Vegas, man. He's like, let's go. Like NBA had their summer league. We need our uh, summer uh, summer preseason NFL. Man, if if Shelvin, if you're gonna roll, <laughs> I might consider it. Man, I love Vegas, but man, August is and, and I you know for Shelvin from where he's coming from. Yeah, he's like, it's, eh, it's probably gonna name. be yeah. cooler than yeah. where he's at. But um, if you're gonna roll, Shelvin, let, we'll 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 get up offline, and um, I might make that trip. I might make that trip if you go. I'll go. That'd be fun. Yeah. I I have not I've not been to the football stadium in Vegas, but I've been to the T-Mobile a couple different times. Oh, I haven't nice been facility. to the, I haven't been to the I I went on a tour. I haven't been to an actual game though. It it is it's state of the art. It's it's a beautiful facility, which is shocking that um you know with an outfit that is head by mark davis that they were able to come up with something so clearly he didn't have anything to do with, with, the, <laughs> with the design of the place because um it is it is a it's a magnificent um facility by the way and already, the whole grass thing is um it's amazing with the trays and how they slide it in and slide it out it, it's really really cool if you're ever in vegas and you know, are looking for something to do or tired of spending money at the blackjack table. <laughs> that um that stadium tour they do is like daily tours. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, uh, we're already getting off topic, but I wanted to ask you if you've seen the sh- the sphere in Vegas. Oh my god! The first <laughs> time, the first time I saw, I didn't know anything about it. I'm driving up um Twain Boulevard, which is where it's located. It's like right between that, it's like that's my old stopping ground. Just like right in front of the Wynn parking garage, and I, I worked at Wynn for five years. So that's like my spot. I'm pulling down. I'm r- driving down Twain, and I see this huge thing. And I'm half expecting it to shoot out a laser beam and blow <laughs> up Alderaan. I mean, it it is you know it is truly the Death Star. It's um, but yeah some of those pictures of the images on it were amazing. Like the eyeball, that was so goddamn scary. <laughs> they, um, yeah, you know, the, they, for people who haven't seen it, it's like a, a huge ball and they are going to do concerts and like basketball games. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's supposed to be specifically for concerts as far as the acoustics and the, where the speakers and, and everything is, is situated. It's an, it's an MSG property. Um, and um, it's it's really amazing, and some of the graphics they're able to do it like it. The globe is like uh, you know that, that's like a, a slam dunk. But they had this one graphic on there it was like a big huge eyeball with all the detail, and it was just it was kind of unsettling. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was really gross because that 
the uh the lcd screens or i don't know how many lcd screens make up that whole thing but it's yeah it's gotta be a, a lot but yeah it's um it's a really really it's an interesting that i guess there's supposed to be one in london too um yeah it's um but it's it's really cool all right let's talk about some of the uh training camp uh positional battles that oh were... can, can we i'm sorry i don't want to get off topic but we we kind of slid past um play callers well let's save it i want to okay. save it yeah okay. we'll save it Sounds to the good. end okay uh so let let's uh let's go uh, I, uh rod asked me if uh we could talk about this as a topic and i i think it's a good topic especially as by the next time we record training camp will have already started so yeah i asked rod to kind of choose you know his top few uh, of the ones he's got his eye on and I have the depth chart open uh, on one of the tabs on my computer, so I'm ready to go. Let, let's uh, let's go with uh, one of your first three. I'm going to be stretching to get something offensive. Everything for me is on the defensive side. Yeah. So let's start up front at defensive end. Um, you know, obviously, we got, in my opinion, the best defensive end in football. Um, playing on the left side, Nick. Um, but what's gonna be what's gonna happen on the right side is a huge question mark. There's really nobody there with any sort of um, sustained NFL success. Um, there's a lot of talent over there. I mean, Drake Jackson showed some stuff in you know in a short in his in while he was playing last season and you know the whole running out of gas thing is is kind of troubling um but we expect him to be better prepared this year and he clearly has talent um Cleveland Farrell a disappointment in um Oakland but I mean he was a fourth overall pick for a reason so it's yeah. not like he's with un, he's without talent um all those guys over there you can make a case for um it's just that none of it does. Um, Austin Bryant is, 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 you know, a good measurables guy, but he's never put it together in the NFL. Um, Beal is a, is a, is a nice prospect. Um, I don't know exactly how much you can expect from a rookie, but you know, so they're going to have a whole lot of guys to throw at it and they should have a lot of opportunities with the fact that you're going to, you got, you're going to have two guys um, on the front, you know, with Hargrave, Hargraves and um, Bosa who are going to command double teams. So those guys over there on the right side are going to have opportunities to make plays. So it's going to be interesting to see which one of them or a few of them separate themselves um, during camp to be, to get, um, to be the ones to get the first opportunity at that spot in the regular season. And I think it'll also end up being a very fluid situation that, you know, um, I don't necessarily think that the person or persons who get that spot in the beginning are necessarily, you know, tenured in there. And, you know, I think it could, you know, you could see a lot of movement um, on the depth chart as the season goes on. So I think that's going to be a fascinating um, battle to watch. Yeah, and Shanahan has not been shy in, you know, maybe publicly challenging 
Drake Jackson to kind of step it up, you know, and he hit the rookie wall and you've heard about the rookie wall. Some rookies are able to play through some of that stuff, but you know, the, the, the difference between college football and the NFL is, is immense. 10 games and he played, well, we had, we were, we had an eligible, I think it was 21 games last year. Um, so double the season for, you know, and like you say, he just hit the wall. He, just, he, yeah. I mean, and I don't, you know, not to make excuses. It's not an excuse. I mean, it's just a fact. I, I don't think any somebody telling you can fully prepare you or explain what it's going to be like. Um, so he had to experience it, and he did. And hopefully, he took lessons from that and is able to, you know, hell at least finish season this year. Um, Cause he had like six um, DMPs at the end of the season. Yeah. Coach's decisions. I mean, that's, that's crazy um, for somebody that they were clearly counting on. Did you read David Lombardi's piece? This is probably last week about Christian McCaffrey and Hargrave kind of being utilized in a way in that they have such great individual talent. But because of their individual talent, and and he actually used uh, the analogy for McCaffrey as like the Steph Curry of of the offense in that he attracts so much attention, it opens up stuff for other people. And he said similarly on on the defensive side, Hargrave is kind of the same in that uh, I forget the the end for Philly who who had his, his best year ever Reddick. Uh, right next to Hargrave, and so he was saying that. Can you imagine? Hargrave and Bosa together. And I, and I was thinking sort of like what you thought, which is, Oh, well, maybe that's the Avenue in, in where Drake Jackson, you know, kind of is able to show some stuff because the other two guys are going to be getting so much attention. So there's, I think there's going to be tons of opportunities for him to make plays. Yeah. I mean, all of them, I think, um, Armstead is going to be a beneficiary because he's not going to be able to be the double in the middle. I would imagine. I can I can't. I just can't imagine Hargrave getting single block. I, I you know, he's just too good. Um, and but Armstead is no slouch. So um, I expect him to be a beneficiary. And then again, those guys on the on that other side, they won't they won't be lacking opportunities. So I, and I think, you know, Kyle being how he is, he's not, that's why I say, I don't know that um, whoever gets the, the opportunity first better produce because they should have no reason not to. And I don't think he, there's going to be like a long leash of, you know, allowing them to be a, that person that's over there starting to be, um, to have a bunch of empty reps and not be productive. I just think, the opportunities are too good, you you know, and there's too many guys there to just you know next man up. We we're gonna we're just gonna keep rolling them through until somebody establishes themselves. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire 
faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Where are you going next? Are you going linebacker for your next one? You, we could do that. We could do that. Um, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Well, no, actually, no. The one that's interesting to me is who ends up being the nickel and how they mm-hmm. end up playing the nickel. Do they, because, you know, um, I saw an article where um, Wilkes was big upping Oliver, and he has played well when he's played. His problem is that, um, number one, he's been hurt like three of his of his five seasons, and those times when he wasn't hurt, the more he got above three hundred snaps, the more the the less effective he was. So the more he played, the less effective he was. His sweet spot. As to this point in his career, if he if he at around 300 steps, he's like a, a a real top of the league player. But in those two seasons where he ended up playing 500 plus, it bore out that he was just kind of average. So we'll end up seeing. Um, so Wilkes touted him as the best nickel uh, on the market, and. That might be true, I guess. But there was also talk about our draft pick Brown being a third safety and being out there with, you know, him being, you know, a big nickel, um, kind of like a la um, Jimmy Ward last season. Um, so I guess both those things could be true. Oliver could get a lot of run. Brown could get a lot of run. Um, but they're two completely different type of players. Um, so who gets the snaps is going to, you know, going to be um, pretty telling as to um, what we're prioritizing. And it might end up just being, um, you know, game plan dependent. Um, Cause obviously Oliver is going to be a much better cover corner and while Brown can cover. He is, more of a safety slash um, nickel. So he can give you some stuff and he can also cover too, which he showed in college, but he can also play downhill and can, you know, kind of play and be um, play in force in the run game. Kind of like Jimmy Ward, you know, who could cover, but his real forte was running is coming up and hitting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, in terms of just, um, 
how we are going to play as a defense. Because I, I thought, you know, everything's old is new again. That three safety deal is, goes back to um, Fritz Shermer with the Packers. Um, he was the first one I ever saw. And I don't know if it's older than that. It probably is. There's nothing new on his son. But, you know, that big nickel package that they used um, with, you know, with, with Woodson in there, you know, him, him giving them that versatility of being able to be a corner. But, you know, later in his career, he was, you know, more of a safety, inbox safety. Um, you know, that's a, a an interesting um, dynamic. So it's going to be, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. And, you know, they're bringing back guys who have been in the system uh, for a little bit. Ambry Thomas, uh, our guy, if you, uh, Samuel, if you think you're lonely now, Womack. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, also guys who uh, have been practice squatters and such like uh, Quantrez Knight. So, but Oliver was specifically brought over for this role. Right. It seemed so it's kind of. He, you know, he's kind of the one A in that spot. But if the if the young rookie shows out, uh, that that's a, that is a very interesting battle. Yeah, I mean, because I don't know if you know it was such a long time ago now, but there was a streak there where Womack was like playing out of his mind, nose for the football. Yeah, and then he, you know, you know, kind of like a rookie, he just kind of fell off, but um. It's going to be interesting to see is uh, you mentioned Ambry Thomas. Is he in a Trey Sermon type situation? Mm. Um, does he, is, is he like playing for his job at this point? Um, because he was the Amador Lenore last, not last season, but the season before Yeah, he had struggled early and then came on late and was, you know, he was balling out in, the, you know, at the end of the season and then got hurt last year and just never he just you know he just never established himself um so uh, you know i i but i think overall you mentioned knight and womack and it, it, you know we've got a lot of talented guys got a got a lot of guys who have shown in flashes that can play i'm really fascinated with knight's skill set you know he's super fast and he's long and he's got all the measurables um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to um, take that next step from the practice squad onto the active roster um, to be able to, you know, maybe contribute. And it's, you know, it's kind of nice to have no disrespect to my man, um, Dante Johnson, but it's not as life. <laughs> it's nice to have, you know, younger guys be in the mix for these positions and not having to, kind of go back to the well with you know and again that's there's nothing no disrespect to Dante Johnson he when he plays he's played well and I mean his versatility was you know of real service but the the faster you can get these younger guys in on these rookie deals yep and um exploit them you know at this cheap money and get reps out of them the better so yeah that'll be interesting to see all right, what is your third one? Guy, it has to be linebacker. Um, that third it's not going to be a kicker, Zane Gonzalez. He's, oh, he's just kind of hanging out just to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I have been – it's funny you should mention that. We've, I've been debating back and forth all week. I mean, God, I mean, I, I 
I can that is one circumstance. The kicker situation <laughs> is one that I can argue both sides of. I get the 49ers side of it. I get Robbie Gold's side of it. And I don't I don't got a dog in the fight because I, you know, I love them both. But I mean, and I am rooting hard for Jake Moody to be yep. the guy. But it is ridiculous to make the point that that some 49er fans have that he is a better kicker than Robbie Gold. He's never, he's, is he even, you know, which brought up another subset of points. Is he even an NFL player yet? Technically? I mean, it's possible to get and not play. I mean, so so, got a, I guess has he got a check yet? That would actually. Well, I get, I get, well, fair point. Fair point. If he's been paid, then yes. Okay. Fair point. But, I would say I would still say today, Robbie Gold was a better NFL kicker. Oh yeah, than Jake, one hundred percent. I think the whole season is going to be about can Jake be ninety percent of Robbie Gold, right? Because Robbie right, well, Gold's one of the most consistent guys, one of the best kickers in Forty Nine er history. Except now, see now that's the thing when you. If you're making the case for Jake Moody, he is going to be an upgrade in the kickoff game mm-hmm. from day one. Yeah. So I could, like I say, when you talk about making the argument from the 49ers side, I could see why you wouldn't want to pay $5 million to a guy who, you know, just was, he was a subpar while he was a very good place kicker. You know, he was basically unusable. He was he was literally bottom of the league in kickoffs last year. And I mean, when you're looking for edges as a winning team, I mean, that just it kills you. I mean, you really have to be able to put the ball in the end zone or be able to master that little pooch kick yeah. to where you guys can cover it. Um, so I get that. You don't want to pay that dude five million dollars. I mean, or that's... now, or now you just kick it as high as humanly possible, and they can you get the fair catch. Fair now. catch, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, so like you say, if Moody can just be ninety percent of Robbie as a um, as a place kicker, then we're good. And then, but then the questions are always going to come still in December, January, and February when you know that's when you really make your money as a kicker, because, because yeah. I mean, I, you got making those clutch kicks. I mean, it's a little different in November than it is in just in January. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's levels to it. And just as a rookie, he's going to have to go through those levels of proving himself, I guess, to himself and to us that um he can, you know, we, we're done it now. We it's, it's, you know, it's over. We've, we've made the choice. Yeah. Now it's just about living, you know, um, living with it and, and, and seeing if, if they were right with, if they made the right call. So I'm rooting for him, but, um, I, I, there's a part of me that still wishes Robbie was here. Yeah. I think Shelvin and I are going to miss Robbie just because (laughs) we would celebrate every, every possible, Kick mm-hmm. by him going back many many years with the Niners. We're not as that <laughs> We're good. Not very good. That was like our celebration. It was like, oh, we got a field goal. There we yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's move on to the linebacker situation. They have an open spot in their starting, uh, their their starting backer position. It is on the uh, strong side. Oren Burks is in bold here. 
with uh, Flanagan Fowles kind of behind him on this ESPN chart that I have. And then uh, other linebackers that they have at the, at the different spots. But what do you see here? Well, um, I've heard, what, what is it? Um, McClurry Ball, he is um, been said to be in the mix. And then also, um, it's that is a position that um, when you, if you're going to put that extra defensive back out there, that, um, you know, he's the guy that comes off. So, excuse me, he's not going to get as many reps as the other two linebackers. Um, so that's, again, that kind of goes back to the other, to the other um, position is how often do we put um, that extra DB out there and do how, how often do we take that, um, how often do we take that, um, take that extra linebacker off the field? Do you know? We, we, it would have been nice to figure out what that percentage was last year when they had three guys that they really, really trusted out there. Right. Um, yeah, because Al Shair was he was a monster and he was really, really good anytime he had to play, you know, when Greenlaw was out or, you know, he you know, so he was a legit third player. So, yeah, that would have been interesting homework to have done um, to see what kind of percentage. um he, they that that third guy is out there that was another thing that um they covered and we'll talk about a little bit more when we start talking about um play callers but um one of the ways that you know they were talking about how Kyle has stayed ahead of the curve in that um and you're going to see more teams do it because of the way the cat and mouse between defense and offense and what has happened is you're getting those linebackers out there. You need guys who can cover. So which subsequently means they're usually smaller Mm -hmm. and you can kind of bully them. So we have been ahead of the curve in our being able to run, you know, because even when they, if it's a heavy box with these light ass linebackers, I mean, you can just run right over the top of them. Um, So it, it's going to be interesting to see if we are if we're able to hold up. Which again, our defensive interior should be better with Hargrave and um, Hargraves and Armstead. But that was a problem for us mm-hmm. with strong interior fronts who could get to the second level and kind of bang us around. Um, the 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 our ability to to hold up in those lighter fronts with somebody like an Oliver in there is going to be very telling to me, or do we need to keep somebody like Burks or whoever linebacker X is mm-hmm. in there to be able to be um, solid versus the run, which I, I know is just based on our defenses. Very, very, it, it's very important to the overall structure is our ability to, to, to be solid, you know, in the box. So when we get to preseason games here in uh, less than a month, uh, we'll circle back on all of this stuff because... Did we do this? So we did the three preseason game last year. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So I'm just interested to see, because you remember in the olden days, the third game was the most important one. And then, you know, the fourth game usually 
was guys that were trying to make the roster. Yeah, it was like and, the um, third one was like the dress rehearsal game. Right. And I can't remember if that's well, I don't I don't remember how it worked last year because like you had pointed out when going over the schedule that even if you decided to do that for that third preseason game, it's so long between there and the actual first game that I mean I don't know you know, I, I don't necessarily know how much benefit there is yeah. to like playing those guys like a whole ha- like they used to do. I don't, you know, it, the schedule really doesn't. I mean, because if you're going to do that and then still be off another two weeks, I mean, I don't know. It's it'll be interesting. I I just I don't even I don't even recall the last season was so long ago. <laughs> I know I don't remember how they did it either. Uh, but also it's because man, you know, sometimes you know they're, they're I don't know if you've watched many baseball games this year, but it's like the games are so sped up. So you can get through a baseball game now in like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. It feels like preseason NFL games are like seven hours long. Oh so, <laughs> so when, when the stakes are real. And then know, once the ones are out, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, I mean, it's a tough watch. <laughs> the ball, it seems like the ball drops, like the clock stops constantly when, when the ones are out, when you, yeah, we could do, we could do a, we should, we could do a running clock if you guys want. <laughs> yeah, that's hundred percent. That. All right. Yeah. So like I said, we'll circle back. We'll talk about all this stuff as uh you know, as, and, and I'm sure, you know, the, these are, these depth charts are in pencil and as the practices happen and you know Kyle's got his eye on you know these scenarios and you know the practice could be a part where they go okay like this this guy might actually be better for this spot and and uh so those things could even happen sometimes before the the games actually start so that that'll be something we can follow as well well we didn't have any offensive guy because I I'm I'm one who I, I don't really think that that whatever you want to call it, that 1A or QB2, I don't really think I, – I don't believe that that is like a competition, but I know some people disagree. There's There are some who are on the Darnold train, um, but I I don't see it. But So we'll, we're going to find out here in 10 days uh, <laughs> if, you know, if Sam Darnold really has a an opportunity to be um, – the I guess it would be quarterback two. And since I guess we're are we still seeding quarterback one to Brock? I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean that's just that that is uh it's a um it's a really interesting quarterback situation that where you know some people are, are saying that Brock is quarterback one and as far as I know the heat still hasn't even been cleared yet. So I mean can't wait for the the Grant Cone tweet. Uh Brock Purdy's thrown, you know, four wobblers in a row and then you know and then then that guy is such a troll oh my god i mean i i he's not my taste but he is really good at his job what at what he does he does it really well because i know he is really able to tweak me and push my button so um good on him for that other people too like some some people who are a lot bigger than him um I, i i think the guy on offense who's got the bullseye on his back is McKivitz. Like there there's already scenarios out there where people are saying, you know, the, I, I think it's actually Grant Cohn. I, I saw Larry Kruger responded to him. I think Grant Cohn said no team has Super Bowl aspirations. If they have Colt McKivitz as, as <laughs> oh. it, was, it was something like that. Right. Wow. And then, yeah. 
And Shots then I, fired. And then Krug said, uh, he said something else. Uh, I, I can't remember what the what the tweet was, but uh, so yeah, like that's all. He's got the bullseye on his back, and we're still we're still a whole ten days away until they they uh, put the pads on. So yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about this podcast that I mentioned only because I saw that Kyle Shanahan himself was at the top of this little uh, graphic here, uh, and it's called the Play Callers. And the I forget the woman's name who does. I'll find her name because she does a really, really, really good job. I think it's Jordan Rodriguez. Yes, I think that's right. Yes, she's. Uh, I think she covers the Rams maybe for the Athletic. But it's I am very so glad you pointed it out to me because I saw, um, I saw it in my feed. Yeah, the, I saw the the podcast, but I did not see the graphic. So. I had, you know, put it on the back burner as something to listen to. And then once you mentioned it and I pulled it up and saw what was going on there, I immediately started listening to it. And then once I started, I couldn't stop. It was amazing. So go ahead with what you're saying. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. So I've only listened to episode one. So I don't know if they follow this same story throughout the entire uh, set of episodes. Um what I found just I, I found the all of these guys openly contributed to this podcast. All of these guys have to understand that they look like maniacs in this podcast because of how obsessive they are about their jobs. And Kyle, I think is the most uh, out of everybody uh, how obsessed he is about this. He even had a quote in, in episode one where he was saying, you know, on my deathbed, I'm going to think about my family, but very close second is, is football and, and, and play calling. <laughs> like that's how obsessed he is with this. And he has been since he was a little kid, it almost became kind of a, uh, a narrative for him of, of, of a blueprint to follow. Like sports became, the end goal and it kind of shaped his work ethic just the idea of you know having this goal to achieve and having a schedule and knowing you know i'm not the i'm not the fastest or the strongest so i have to just work harder than everybody else and that has actually become who he is as a coach and so the story is basically kyle working for his father or actually this was even before he was in uh in houston and he and he had some coaches underneath him and they were all young guys, and then and these guys were not in great the greatest positions necessarily because they were starting from the bottom. And then as they grew and they followed Kyle to the next job, which was uh, in uh, in Cleveland, and just the way that they were able to establish themselves, like Mike McDaniel, who uh, is now with with Miami, he was saying how you know he is not the type of guy to puff out his chest about certain things. Like he doesn't need to be the best marketer out of everybody as far as showing how smart he was. And he kind of threw Sean McVay under the bus a little bit by saying that's kind of who Sean was. But in Sean's defense, I had a boss one time say, no one is going to be a better advertiser for you than you. And so that's kind of how I saw Sean, but it's pretty clear that McDaniel kind of maybe without, 
saying so much thought Sean was a little bit of a uh, of a shadow or, or something. And, but so what McDaniel did is he saw uh, he saw uh, I forget that Chris uh, what's Chris's uh, last name the the coach who's with the Niners now uh, um um Corey yeah and he saw how Cork had Shanahan's ear without having to be sort of the shadow. Oh no, Chris Forster. That that's there you go. And so he decided my avenue to Shanahan is to get close to this other coach who was already close to Shanahan. So that the whole thing of them being coaches together was was a fascinating story. But like I said, I've only listened to the first episode, and the first episode ends with the story of RG3 and how they really shaped their offense around him as, as a quarterback. And they utilized things uh, that he did very well in college. And a lot of it was to his detriment because it just uh, made him available to be hit a lot. And he gets hurt. They, they go on this run. He gets hurt. And then he tries to play hurt. And, and he basically ends the podcast by saying, you know, I wish – there was somebody who could have protected me from myself because I was going to play for the vets. And that, and so, you know, I was going to play no matter what, even though I was hurt and that kind of derailed his career. So that's how episode one ended. Um, what were your thoughts on that first episode? But also I think you've heard more than I have. So how does that, like, how, how do, how do, uh, what do I, what am I uh, going to listen to for these next few episodes? Well, Kyle is through it without because, you know, he is like the head of this whole snake um, and his influence on all the other guys is kind of fascinating because basically what it ends up happening is you got five episodes and four of them. Kind of, so like episode one is kind of Shanahan centric. And then you've got the one, there's one that's kind of McVeigh centric and then, LaFleur centric and then McDaniel. And then the last one is kind of a recap of what we've heard throughout. So episode one is the most Kyle centric one. Okay. And some of the things that I found fascinating coming all the way back to the beginning, and you touched on a lot of it is that people talk about like nepotism mm -hmm. and yes, some of the opportunities that Kyle has gotten have been directly related to the fact of what his last name is, but what he has done with those opportunities yeah. is what makes it special. Um, I go all the way back to his first, first job as offensive um, quality control in um, Tampa. Mm -hmm. And number one, that staff was amazing. <laughs> you had, you know, Gruden and Barry and, um, Tomlin and Monty Kiffin and Raheem Morris and you know uh, Rob Marinelli, just a lot of football minds. And Kyle, his job in that space was to um, write out, like rewrite and write out all of John Gruden's offense. So that um, was his introduction to the NFL. But he would go the extra step and spent as much time as he could in those defensive meetings mm -hmm. um, with those great Tampa Bay teams, um, you know, with Tomlin and Marinelli and Kiffin and um, soaking up 
as much as he could on that part of it. And that's something that I kind of knew in my mind, but hearing Kyle talk about it and just the way he talked, it's like it, this, it drove home the point that great coordinators have to be, they have to know as much about the other side of the ball as they do about their side of the ball. So Kyle knows as much about defense as he does about offense. And, and that's, his, that's also a Belichick thing, right? Like that's his job is, you know, his gift is cracking defenses. Mm-hmm. And another one of the great stories in this podcast is, um, you know, for the longest time, that Seattle style of defense um, with the cover three um, Legion of Boom style defense was proliferating and killing in the NFL. And his, mission in life was to crack it and then once he got hired in atlanta and um what's my man's name the defensive coordinator now in um dallas um whatever his name is he's the head coach in atlanta and um so he got to practice against that defense every day and basically um basically cracked the seattle um defensive shell he's like you know you learn all these things um playing against it daily and you know where the stakes are low that you just you know there's certain things you can't pick up just watching tape and um just the 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 whole cat and mouse of it that these guys play with um you know the offense makes a gain and the defenses catch up and then the defenses they you know so it's it's always like an arms race to see you know who can um, get a leg up on one another? And then another thing that's fascinating to me is this: how incestuous this whole football thing is. Um, you know, everybody has. You know, there's 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 no way that there's like a six degrees of separation between all these guys. All of them, you know, have either worked with each other directly, or there's somebody working for them that has worked with somebody that is, you know, they're, they're all connected in these really strange ways. And especially in Kyle's little circle, you know, with McVeigh and um, McDaniel and Lafleur, those guys are all super competitive yeah. with each other. Um, you know, personally as you know aside from their teams um so it's like you know um she was um the our interviewer was talking about there were quite some questions she would ask um that they wouldn't answer because she knew that the other guys were gonna hear what they said (laughs) so they and they didn't want it to they didn't you know they didn't want to be giving up any like this particular question was um what's next in offensive innovation and nobody wanted to be (laughs) what they thought you know they all i don't know (laughs) wouldn't that be good to know but yeah this it it was this is i i I believe i think i um tweeted that out as soon as i started listening to it definitely episode one if you're a 49er fan you i think you'll learn a lot about our coach and how he is wired um by listening to the whole show, but particularly episode one. Yeah, I, I I loved it. And I'm not necessarily 
Like, I'm not like a football outsider's guy to the point of where they're trying to explain something, but the explanation is just as complex. Uh, right. as it, like, I like it when you have smart people who can kind of put it in more casual language, though that I was so interested in what they were saying. They were talking in, in coach speak. They were talking in football speak. And I didn't feel like I was lost in any way. And maybe it's because it was Shanahan and I was so interested because it was him, but did that whole, yeah, the whole thing, the competitiveness, the, uh, how all four guys are running teams now is tremendous. It, it just shows that, you know, you, the networking possibilities out there are there. And like you said, man, if you really put the work in and you, uh, and, and you blossom, then, you know, you're, you're in a good opportunity, but th- there was another thing that they said where, uh, Kyle, and, I, and this is what I want to ask you about as far as like a boss, Kyle as a boss, they, I, I forget who said it. Maybe it was, uh, it was the, uh, the, the, the Jordan, um, I think she said something to the effect of Kyle, he is very like if you come to him with something, you better be able to anticipate all the questions that he's going to ask you about that thing. And he's going to be very vocal if you don't know, if you don't know what he's thinking or or what are some of the possible solutions to to your to your thing. Man, Im- imagine just the trepidation that some of these guys would have, you know, coming to him and he and he would just be airing them out. Like, I, I'm sure in the NFL, the coaching styles, you know, in some instances, that's kind of like a survival thing is it's just so cutthroat and you, you have to be wired in that way. But I work in the Silicon Valley, and you know there's some craziness going on there. And I, when I've been around, you know, Kyle's not the CEO, but he's the, the CEO of the football field. I've been around mm-hmm. CEOs where they will just light people's asses up, and you're kind of demeaned, and you kind of got to leave with your tail between your legs. Then you got to come back and sort of, you know, redo that relationship, knowing what happened the last time. That is like a crazy management style. And it just showed me like, man, I'm so thankful that I, I don't have any football acumen to yeah, want see, to even go into that, and that, that avenue. The um the wild part about it is is you are that there's like two sides to that coin is like these guys, you know, in particular, these three guys, they when they were working for Kyle the the pinnacle for them was for him to call something that they brought to him and yeah. he installed. Right. So, I mean, that is what all of them want. But then there's the other side of that is to get there, you're going to have to bring it to him. Yeah. And then you're going to have to go undergo this interrogation about what it is that you brought to him. And, You've got to survive that. So, you know, I, I'm not saying what I want. I'm getting, I'm, it's, it's kind of circular in that to get what you want, you got to go through this, like, you know, this ring of hell to get there. 
So, but so you don't want to not do it. Yeah. But yeah, so it's just, it's just, it's just weird. And I mean, it, I, I don't know. And I took it kind of like that he is open to your suggestions, but you just have to know that it better be really, really well thought out. And you better have thought about, well, what about what this happens? If this happens, what about if that happens? What about if this happens? All the way down the line, because that's where he's going to, they all said that's where he's going to go with it. They all know that when they bring something to him, he is going to dissect it. Mind, he's gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna take it all the way down to its core. Yep. And wants you to know that, um, um, that that what you what you are at, what you are suggesting and all of the ramifications for it. And that was something that Lafleur said, um, specifically said that you know they're the same age, and they were like, people were, you know, he had heard all the whispers about this, you know offensive genius gun he's like he's my age i mean how much could he possibly know <laughs> and um he was like you know it was like they had an interaction similar to this and he said he was like blown away and he was like oh shit i really got to get my shit together because this dude is he thinks about things that i would have never even considered um and you know we're talking about this is when they're like <laughs> you know, 25, 26 years old, 20 years ago now, you know, he's just a, you know, he is really, really, um, he is, Kyle is all in on this coaching thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> there, uh, I, I want to end with the RG three things. I want to get your perspective because you were watching football at that time and mm -hmm. you remember that very clearly. And Kyle's mm -hmm. got a little bit of a rep because of that moment. Um, the, the only other thing I wanted to mention is the other thing because we, you and I are both sons. And when Kyle said that he thought his dad was one of the best coaches in the world, and then when they fired him, he had to actually have this conversation with himself about, does that mean my dad's like not the best coach in the world? Like that, he said that that really killed him to have to think that way. I thought mm -hmm. that was great as well. But we'll, yeah. we'll move on to the RG3 thing because they ended that, I'm sure, for a reason. RG3 was very nice about his situation. I imagine he probably feels a certain way, uh, you know, but he's a successful, he's a successful guy now in, in the media in, 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 you know, doing commentary and doing analysis and stuff. So he's, he's been able to move on in, in a very good way, but the way that they ended this podcast was RG three, basically hurting his knee playing on it and hurting it more. And it kind of derailing his career. And he ends it by saying, you know, I would have not have done it the same way. I wish there was somebody who would have told me not to. And uh, the team had gotten uh, the Wa Washington had gotten some fines for maybe not being as truthful on the injury report as they were supposed to be. And a lot of this, and I'm not saying like this was all Kyle's fault because Kyle is, is not the big boss at this time. Uh, but it, it just kind of made you think a little bit about the Trey Lance situation last year in that in trying to take advantage of what this QB's strengths are at the same time, you also, there is a risk in that, which is opening him up to being hit in a way that he wouldn't necessarily be hit in the pocket. And, um, and so, you know, I think we all kind of talked about it last year, whose fault was it? Was it in, and, and we kind of came to the, to the solution or to the explanation that 
Kyle's trying to get this guy to have some successes. And part of that is because of how fast he is and how much he can run. And so he's trying to open up these avenues so that maybe they're expecting him to run. And then that opens up the pass a little bit more. RG three was talking about that a little bit in the offense that they built around him. And so what did you think about that last piece of of the show? And like, like uh, what's the culpability there for the team and the player and the coaches and the training staff. And, you know, the doctor said that he was, uh, he wasn't given a chance to, to to say whether or not the player was too hurt to come back on the field. Like there's a lot of stuff I'm sure that teams learned about through that scenario, but it didn't necessarily paint the Shanahan's in the greatest light to end that episode. Yeah. I mean, that, that is always the dirty side of this business um, is that um, it's there, there's a lot there's two things that I'm gonna I want to say we'll start here but then it kind of dovetails and leads into another thing that I found really fascinating I can't remember if it was this episode before but but there is there's a desire for all of us to say it's that guy's fault I mean mm-hmm. that's we're kind of wired that way we want to be able to blame that guy or that person when in all of these decisions, there are a bunch of people who are culpable. Um, and I get that, you know, as, a, as you know, I used to always say when I was a manager that ultimately, you know, I, I'm responsible regardless of whether or not, um, you know, I, I'm accountable regardless of whether or not I'm responsible. Um, and in this case, Mike Shanahan is accountable for what happened. Um, who did the doctor tell him was the doctor allowed to speak true speak as truthfully as he could be uh, or should have been or did he feel like he needed to answer in a way that was pleasing to the boss um you know i and i i get it he's a young man but there's a certain level of accountability that robert Griffin has for his mm-hmm. own health and well-being. If he felt like he couldn't go, then and I, and I get, I, I say even as I say it, I know how hard that is for a player in his position to do. Because as he talked about, not it's not just for him. He felt like he was playing for Fletcher Cox and um, Santana Moss and those vets on the team. That he felt like this was their best chance to get to the ultimate goal. And And before 49er fans go, oh, that sounds like it's not hard of a decision. We are the same fan base who wanted Brock Purdy to go out there and try and throw left-handed when he got his (laughs) shoulder, elbow destroyed. (laughs) Exactly. You know, so we're not talking about people making rational decisions. Yeah. Um, So I I do believe that there is enough blame to go around, but I think, I think the things are definitely better now than they were then just in terms of injury reporting. And I I do believe that there is a conscious effort to keep these dudes safer. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't, it it seems to me that they aren't um, 
as objectified. I mean, there's a lot that is going on, you know, in terms of we we seem to, to be listening about these dudes and their mental struggles and that part of it. Um, it just seems to be a better environment, but I just don't think that you're ever going to. I, I think RG3 is right, is that there needs to be an adult in the room and somebody needs to be looking out and advocating for the player. And we talk about Kyle and the doctor. Where was the NFLPA on mm-hmm. the on Robert Griffin's side if, mm-hmm. um, you know, advocating for him if he was truly so but i mean how did they how did but as i say that how do they know um exactly the details of what's going on in that building in that short condensed period of time to be able to do anything about it um so like i say all we can do is try to do better but that was uh, like you say that was a really really sobering um moment but another thing that I really loved, and then I we, we can move on, um, Mike McDaniel, who is just a really, really smart, um, he's a really smart dude and a really introspective dude. Um, he's had some struggles. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear um, about his journey and what has led him to where he is. Um, but he said something that it is really applicable to us as fans is that, the play caller always gets the shit for yeah. if a play doesn't work. Yep. And it's ridiculous because obviously his play design is based upon these 11 guys doing their job. And those 11 guys doing their job is based on those position coaches imbuing the skills in those guys to do those jobs. Um, so for anybody to say on any one play that it's that guy's fault, I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous on his face. There's, you know, there's always plenty of culpability to be had, um, to be in blame passed around. Just like, um, that's why he said he his belief is that it's ridiculous to that we give play callers too much credit when things go right, and they get too much blame when things go wrong because all of those decisions that they make and all those plays that they call, if they go right or if they go wrong, there are a lot of people involved in making that happen. I mean, isn't that Kyle's whole reputation from the Super Bowl? Like yeah. that that's if he wins that game, he may not even have been able the 49ers may not have been able to get him because he's he's probably the Rams coach. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And they go they go into that here um also is oh, in that oh, I can't wait I can't in, wait for that. Yeah, yeah. In that how the whole McVeigh Shanahan thing, how McVeigh gets hired, because basically Kyle doesn't take the Atlanta interview. He doesn't make himself available base. I mean, he doesn't make take the LA interview. Um he for whatever reason, they never really go into detail on that, on exactly why he didn't. But he basically had just decided he wasn't going to make himself available to them. And um, so, and then McVay, McVay swooped in. And yeah, you know, they were, McVay um, interviewed here, and it was widely believed um, he was supposed to meet here for an hour. His, and I, I can't remember who told this story. Um, he's supposed to be here an hour and it goes three and then four. <laughs> and then it's like 
holy shit, the Rams are like sweating bullets because their their thought is they might not even get a shot yeah. at McVay. That the 40 Miners might have been, you know, and there's that whole connection between McVay and the 49er oh, yeah. organization to begin with. So they were really concerned that he might not leave, um, that they might not let him out of the building. Um, but then they did, and then they, you know, it, it goes on on that story. But that that's a it's very interesting how that whole thing could be different. McVeigh could be, have could have been here. Kyle could have been in L.A. Uh, it's just it's, you know, th- like I say, the whole thing is really incestuous. And I'll end here, and, and you know, we've already been talking for seventy minutes, so we'll end the show as well. But it also made me made me believe actually that if Kyle Shanahan gets a Super Bowl or two, that he's actually going to be uh, in the upper echelon historically of coaches, not only for winning the Super Bowl, but also for influencing uh, the the younger style coaches. Because I don't remember if it was on this podcast or not, but they were basically saying that, and you've said this in the past, that essentially everybody – runs a version of Kyle Shanahan's offense. Yeah. I mean, and, it, yeah. and so the influence alone is, is just felt throughout the entire league. So uh, I, that, that's what I came out of this thinking is, you know what, if Kyle does get that Super Bowl, you know, Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick and guys like that are kind of at the, 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 on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, and he may not get there just because he, he's so he's not an old man yet. Right. And his influence is still being felt and it'll still be felt for many, many years, but he could be in that, in that level uh, of, uh, of people at the end of the day. So that, that, that was the last thing. And I would have never thought about it that way uh, before I listened to that podcast in that same way that I thought about it. And 100%. And you are, I mean, it is, it sounds blasphemous, but he, his um, influence, offensive influence, at his at this point in his career, he's had just about as much as the West Coast offense did in in the way that the game like like fundamentally, forty years later, the fundamentals of everything that happens in football right now, you can go right back to Bill Walsh's building a champion. It, it, it the 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 foundational elements of his offense, the fingerprints are on everything you see from. Pee wee football all the way up to Sundays. And I believe, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that 40 years from now, we'll be talking about Shanahan and his influence in that, in those similar terms. I mean, it's just. If you and me are talking about that 40 years from now, then yes. we, we, we're doing really good. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I man, this has been awesome. It, it's always a pleasure, and I I just can't wait till we get back to weekly. Yeah, no, it's gonna be good. Uh, but no, this was great. I'm glad that I was able to uh, to check this show out because uh, I resisted a little bit just because like, ah, is it gonna be too much X's and O's and mm-hmm. nerdy, nerdy, nerdy stuff? Which I I can I can get into, but it's sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts, it's a little bit of a not so active of a listen because I'm kind of doing multiple mm-hmm. things, right? Um, and sometimes I'll like go, oh, no, I've, I got to rewind 10 minutes, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and, but the way that 
the 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 reporter put this thing together was so fantastic as well so she shout out to her such a great job such and shout out job. to these guys for you know being as frank as, as they could be without yeah. giving away their stuff so mm-hmm. yeah i think 49er fans would like it and football fans would like it as well so uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks and we'll have some actual training camp stuff to talk about which will be good and then you know by the time we come back next week it will be like uh, only another uh, week and change until until games start. So we'll have to figure out what we want to do for preseason games because, I mean, it could be there could be enough things to talk about, you know, to do weekly shows for the pregame or for the preseason. Or there's like not a lot coming out of those. So we'll sort of have to figure out after the first one. But I think it probably makes sense to try and come back. If not that night, like the next day or something for yep. the first preseason game. Sounds good. All right. Thank you to everyone who was checking in with us, whether it was on our YouTube channel uh, or on the podcast feed. For Rod, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. Again, WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.